giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel. And I'm your other host, Lindsay Christensen. And today we're rejoined by Alistair from Takeometrics. Welcome. Hi, Chad. Hi, Lindsay. Good to uh, join you again. Thank you for uh, making it happen. Well, thanks as always. Yeah. So I saw a, a timely tweet today because of our topic that was this old phrase that's been going around that data is the new oil. And mm. I wanted to get your thoughts on that, Alistair. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's so many different directions that could go. And it's funny, we have we have certainly used that quote internally and uh, it, it does resonate for us. I mean, our, our core value at Takeometrics is that we help our customers who are sellers and brand owners optimize in marketplaces like Amazon and Walmart and all the future marketplaces that we're going to integrate into. And the way that we do it is data. And there's a phrase that we've been using, which is uh, around what we call first party data. And what we mean by that is data that we have that no one else has. And that's the data that our customers are willing to give us on their products. For that reason, it, it's it's really privileged data and it's really valuable. So that that quote does make sense. You know, there's just a lot of uh, incredible companies out there, and uh, you know, we're we're a small company but growing quickly using data. So yeah, it's a good quote. I, I like it. What was the earliest data that Takeometrics was collecting? The idea at Takeometrics really came from being a seller. And, you know, it all started way back when I was selling not just on Amazon, but on my own website. So when Amazon offered to give us one of the opportunities to be one of the first third-party sellers back in 2003, you know, Amazon wasn't a particularly attractive place to sell. I know that sounds crazy, but it, it really wasn't. It was a book website and they had done these sort of small projects but what happened over time is you could see Amazon getting more and more customers, meaning consumers, into their platform, which is more and more demand. And things like Amazon Prime became really successful, and we all know why. But what Amazon didn't have is API access for its sellers. So we started out very, very early on actually scraping Amazon data and doing things like checking prices of our competitors and checking listing coverage of our competitors. Uh, we were also using APIs that weren't really meant for sellers. Uh, Amazon did a lot of affiliate marketing back to build their, their sort of ecosystem uh, back then, and we're talking mid-2000s. So there were APIs available, but they were really designed for affiliates. So we were sort of piecing together data from Amazon through different methods. And in a way, Doing that gave us, from a seller's perspective, a bigger advantage because, you know, if everyone has the pipes, if everyone has the oil, then it doesn't become as precious anymore. So, yeah, the early days as a seller was, uh, you know, getting access to, to information that wasn't readily available. And, and that did lead to Takeometrics, or at least the idea of it starting. So that was mostly pricing information initially? Yeah. You know, the, the original business model that I started was as a reseller. You know, I um, literally started in my dorm room selling products, other, other companies branded products. So I would call up manufacturers and they would show up and they would say, wow, this is a bit odd. You're, you know, you, you want to sell online, you know, you need a retail store. But for the ones that didn't, I was able to get access 
to their products and, and really become an authorized reseller. But at that time, you know, regular retail stores didn't sell on Amazon. So we, we had the agreements to sell great products in an amazing place, which is Amazon. Now, there were other people doing the same thing, but they didn't have, I think, as much of a technology advantage. And what we were doing was repricing. That's how the company got started. Take is actually the Japanese word for market price. So we thought about repricing and we would optimize to win the buy box, basically. I'm sure you're all familiar with the concepts. You know, you go to the Amazon website today and you see what's called the buy box, which is the add to cart button. Perhaps 10 years ago, there were more people selling the same product. We've now shifted, the, the world shifted towards more brands selling their own products. So you won't see as much competition on the same listing. But back then it was all about repricing and pricing optimization. And we were actually algorithmically changing pricing up and down. In certain cases, you could see other reprices battling us and it would be this interesting game theory situation, which at the end of the day all ends up going to the floor. But that's what we were doing. You mentioned the advantage that you had over other sellers who may not have been as technically advanced. And so you started writing scrapers and, and that sort of thing. Does that continue today with other competitors in the market? Is that something that you continually try to do is be more advanced in terms of what your product is doing and the data it's collecting? Absolutely spot on. I mean, the highest level, it's very complicated for a brand. And, um, you know, typically the people that I like helping the most are people that have created value in the world through inventing a cool product that solves a customer need. So it could be, you know, children's education product or some kind of very efficient way to bring a product to market that isn't using brick and mortar. And, and they're generally inventors or, or creative folks. And then when you think about how complex it is to be successful on Amazon, you know, they end up flying blind. There's two things. Number one, you know, if you're an inventor of a product and you're anywhere in the world, you could be, you know, it's difficult to get legitimate information and you know, I'm really proud of our team because we have the value of lots and lots of data and lots of domain knowledge. So we're able to have a great conversation with someone and actually compare them to other customers confidentially and, and really give guidance. Some of these entrepreneurs just, and even big companies, don't know how well they're doing because they don't have a way to measure themselves. So there's a there's a really valuable idea here, which is just what I would call network data. In econometrics, uh, the concept's called heterogeneity. And what that means is it's comparing groups to see what differentiates one from another. And you can only really do that if you've got lots and lots of data. So that's one area. And implicitly, we're valuable because we've got that view of the world. And to answer your other question, or, or maybe your, your core question on, do people see a competitive advantage? Um, you know, absolutely. You know, we provide optimization using, you know, AI and machine learning. And that's something that a human just can't do. Um, for some of our brands, we might be doing 3 million bid changes a month. And that's just way outside of human capability. And, and so there is this feeling of empowerment of using automation. And, you know, there are competitors that do similar things to what we do, but 
I think there's a, a really important way to, to do that with the right types of data and the way that we're integrating data is quite unique. When did you realize that you were moving towards network data or was that always the plan? Well, I've always enjoyed it from being a seller because I had that feeling myself. I wasn't able to really see or know that much about my own business. But as soon as we started taking metrics, it was fun to be able to talk to other entrepreneurs and have their trust to help them you know, with their own businesses. In the very beginning, I was worried about it being a conflict of interest, you know, this idea that we mm-hmm. could use data and and you know what's really interesting, and I'll, I'll actually tell you a, a, a story in a moment that is super fascinating. But the idea that you know we have trust and people allow us to know about their businesses and we can help them is just like from day one. That that's that's what got me really excited. That's what got me excited to the point where I was willing to switch my entire focus from selling products myself to actually becoming more of a uh, a Sherpa, if you like, through technology. And the story I want to tell you is actually really crazy. Um, Last week, um, the FBI announced that they were indicting six Amazon sellers, but really consultants of other Amazon sellers on bribery charges. So what ended up happening is these uh, companies that actually provided similar services to us, not using technology, more through consulting, actually were bribed Amazon employees to do things like switch other sellers off, unblock listings, you know, do really shady stuff. Wow. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty crazy. We're actually familiar with, you know, a few of the people's, well, n- not associated, you know, just want to be clear, we don't work with them, but we just, we just know of that. And I think what that is, is just the trust and the use of data. If you think about Cambridge Analytica as a company and see what they did with the election and what they did with Facebook and when you think about all of the manipulation, I know there's some really interesting Netflix documentaries on this. There's a new one called Social Dilemma and then there's a previous one, which I've forgotten the name right now, but it just shows you a company using data that's first party that people are willing to give out you know, has a moral obligation in my mind to use it for the right thing. And our mission is to do it to help these entrepreneurs. But uh, it's a privileged position to be in. Can you give us an idea of the actual data that you have access to, whether it be on Amazon or Walmart? What is the stream of data that you're getting look like? Yeah. So, you know, there's nothing special about having access to the APIs. Having said that, you know, we do have earlier access because of relationships that we've built, because we've got a certain number of sellers and, you know, we're well respected. You know, we were able to work with Walmart very early on and similar with Amazon. But what those companies want to do is they want to provide API access. In an Amazon's case, they're famous for disintermediating other companies, right? Like Amazon always wants to go direct and, and have the most leverage. But in the case of sellers, in the case of advertising optimization, they really need people in the ecosystem. The other example at Amazon is AWS, where they provide a lots of APIs, and there are other companies that have used those APIs to add value. So what's panned out quite well is that Amazon and Facebook and Google and Walmart are all thinking about the world API first. 
So the pipes are there. And that's not, you know, truly that proprietary, but as it, what comes back to us is the blending of those API pipes with proprietary data that we, we're able to get. So data that uh, we call first party is catalog data. Um, let's say you invent a product, you know, let's say it's a baby shoe as an example, you know, you, you've got a certain set of attributes around that product you know, those aren't owned, aren't owned by Amazon. Um, you might have business case around it. You might have a, a goal. You might have a price point that you can control. You have a cost of goods sold that's due to wherever you've manufactured it. And those are the inputs that are really important that, that you need to give us. And we gather the gross margin or the profitability is something that Amazon actually can't get because they don't know your cost of goods sold and we can. So, you know, in our software, I'm really, you know, proud of this that you you know you're actually able to see your profitability. In a way Amazon doesn't care about this because it's optimizing for their profitability. So yeah, it's a really sort of nuanced area. It's top of mind right now because, you know, Jeff Bezos went in front of US House of Representatives talking about, you know, what side of the table is Amazon on? Is it on the selling goods side or is it on the marketplace side? And um, Amazon's much more profitable to be on the marketplace side, which is just gives you even more visibility or at least gives us more opportunity to provide visibility on the marketplace side to other bits and pieces that you know Amazon just can't get access to. There's one other piece, actually. When you're selling on multiple marketplaces, even more exciting things happen because that data that might be from sales of Walmart and then you're selling on Amazon at the same time. Of course, neither Walmart or Amazon can tell how you're doing on either one. And that's important to our sellers or, or brands. It's to help them choose which one is best. You know, I, I've had these conversations in the back of Uber, an Uber and I've sort of talked to people about Uber and Lyft, like which one are you driving? Have you got two phones? That type of thing. It's a similar sort of thing. You know, I thought to myself, well, why aren't there more tools that can do that for Uber drivers or Lyft drivers in respectively? But anyway, that's the sort of thought process on our side. We're going to take a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor, Scout APM. Scout APM is quickly becoming my go-to performance monitoring tool for Rails apps. I love opening it up and seeing a prioritized list of issues that I can quickly knock out before end users ever see them. With the weekly digest and alerts, I can rest easy knowing that Scout will let me know if issues arise. Ultimately, Scout APM empowers developers to spend more time building great products by minimizing the effort required to identify and resolve performance issues. Scout's developer-centric approach quickly pinpoints N plus one queries, memory bloat, and other abnormalities. Their tracing logic saves me a ton of time by tying bottlenecks back to the line of code causing the issue. It's pretty great. Give Scout a try for free today, and you'll have the performance insights you've been dreaming of within four minutes. Sign up through scoutapm.com slash giantrobots, and Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Once again, thanks to Scout APM for sponsoring today's episode. So how has the data available to you evolved over time? Does it change a lot? Yes, it does. And we are pushing the boundary constantly. So there is more and more stuff that's available through APIs. And Amazon knows that it has to give out more data to create more stickiness. One of the classic examples would be with Amazon, you know, Nike famously went back and forth on this. They chose to sell on Amazon and then not sell on Amazon. And the 
the really huge, in their case, a billion dollar question is, should they be selling on Amazon? Because if they're not, they're missing out. If they are, who owns the customer data? So it's an interesting dilemma for Amazon because, you know, if they want to attract brands, they're going to have to give more and more information. So brands are willing to invest, but they don't want to give up too much information because you could feel like you could gain customers on Amazon and sort of almost jailbreak them outside of Amazon. So we've seen Amazon sort of toy back and forth with how much information is out there. What I find fascinating is if you go and look at other networks like Tmall, which is in China, and that's an Alibaba equivalent of Amazon, you can see things that are different on their website publicly. Like you can see the number of units sold. Similarly on eBay, who's moving more and more to fixed price listings and more like Amazon, you can see the number of units are sold. Amazon has, it's slightly more opaque. They have things like the sales rank. So yeah, it's it's constantly changing, Chad. It's, it's, it's really fascinating. And what we're doing on our side is, is gathering more and more data. The piece that I think is the most exciting for us is more and more of that index data. Like what can we do with all of the data from our customers that isn't abusing their trust, that is truly better for them? And I think of things, you know, just even and completely sort of consumer type stuff. You know, I use a, a running app called Strava. I went for a run this morning on it. And I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with it, Chad, or any of the listeners, but, but basically it has what's called uh, different sections. So you can run, let's say, a six-mile loop like I did this morning. And, you know, if I, if I pull up my iPhone, I can see how I compared with the segment for other people that are the same age as me or all time or this year or today. And I think that's just a really cool way to use index data and network data to provide value. So, you know, I'm excited in our company about doing more and more of this because what we're then able to do is say, okay, you're in the baby shoe category. You know, how do you stack up to other people in your category in an anonymous way that doesn't abuse, you know, their trust? And that can be super valuable. I mean, there's almost like a gamification piece to see, you know, how well you're doing. Yeah, I like that HubSpot does a similar thing with, you know, your email is performing better or worse than the average. And I I believe you can even drill in by like industry to get some sort of sense uh, of how it's doing. And then, yeah, motivated to, to do better. Yeah, that's awesome. I think if you can do that without abusing the trust and you can do that in a way that's truly valuable, you've sort of hit that really exciting point where you can become more and more valuable due to your scale that's a really big thing that i have the team working on right now and you know we've got some data scientists that are excited about that and i'm excited about it i mean think of all the different products that are being launched every single day there are 50,000 new amazon sellers signing up every day globally you know most of them fail but what makes one more successful than another you know what are the attributes what are the things that make them successful. And of course, if you think about that scale of people doing trial and error, that's what Amazon has has done, allowed innovation. You know, Jeff Bezos should get, you know, tremendous amount of credit for that. I mean, it's it's definitely created an amazing consumer experience because you've got so much competition and so much supply at a lower cost. From that consumer experience, you've talked about how you're concerned about, you know, making sure your customers know that you have no conflict and that you're treating their data respectfully. 
what kind of access do you get to consumer behavior information from Amazon? Uh, very little, actually, in the big picture. That's something that Amazon keeps very close. There's been all sorts of innovation there, or at least iteration and change. You know, very early on, Amazon used to give a lot of the customer data, names and addresses. I remember when I first started selling, you even had emails, the actual emails, individual emails. And this was early 2000s. Amazon quickly masked those. So they they had a simple way to sort of hide them and, and use an alias if a seller needs to contact someone for an exchange or a refund or whatever. But back in, call it 2003, maybe even through to 2008, you literally got the emails. Mm-hmm. It's just something that just would never be possible today. You were also able to get addresses because you needed to ship goods. As Amazon's become more and more of a walled garden and you know, you're, you're really as a seller most likely leveraging Amazon Prime through fulfillment by Amazon, which means that you know, Amazon shipping and, and fulfilling your goods and you're, you're really renting warehouse space, the need to have people's names and addresses is less important. So we can derive different patterns, like we've correlated some really interesting things like um, the weather patterns. Um, We had one particular customer that comes to mind who had non-toxic ice melt and we were able to correlate advertising demand in different locations and at different times. And we would, you know, we use that to tweak the willingness to pay for higher ads. So we were able to look at things like conversion rate. We weren't able to really, neither would we need to get any proprietary customer information you know, which I'm happy about. I mean, Amazon is sensitive around that. So yeah, thankfully, if you're an Amazon consumer, I think they do a good job of keeping your information confidential. But are you getting information like how many views a product is getting? Oh, yeah. Or that kind of thing, yeah. but not down to the individual consumer? Yes, that's a big part of the optimization algorithms, uh, especially around advertising, conversion rates, views, trying to predict the value of a particular keyword. So for one given product, you might have tens of thousands of keywords and you're going to have different nonlinear sort of decisions to make on all of those keywords based on the sales. So yeah, that's a big part of the optimization, especially on the advertising side, because you're, you're pretty much trying to value different keywords and work out what you're willing to pay for each one. Are you using any off-the-shelf third-party tools for data aggregation and analysis, or have you built it all internally? Well, it's a great timing, Lindsay, because we've <laughs> actually acquired a team, and I'm really excited about this. You have? Now, actually, yeah. No, it's a big one. So today, each week, every Monday at 10 o'clock, we do our company all hands, and it's increasingly exciting for me because the team is growing, and it's especially with COVID, you know, from all around the world. Um, We've got a growing team in India and we've got folks, everyone's dialed in. And um, it's a really important meeting. It's obviously an expensive meeting from a use of time, but we share important updates. And actually on Friday, I signed the official paperwork to acquire a team. And, you know, we're going to be announcing it publicly, but, you know, they're based in Tel Aviv and we were buying data from them. And they were aggregating market intelligence data and, you know, they're going to join our team. So I made the announcement today and internally and 
you know, it's a pretty big deal. And it was awesome. It was, um, you know, Rosh Hashanah on Friday. So, you know, I was able to welcome the new team in Tel Aviv on the big celebration day for them. And they're going to be joining us. So it's, it's a big deal. Congratulations. No, thank you. And actually just thinking about data is oil. There's just a lot of incredible data science in uh, as data scientists and engineers in, in in Tel Aviv. It's just a sort of a hotbed for innovation. So I think there is an added benefit of, of the people. I mean, we're really mostly talent. And uh, like I said, we were actually working with them and they were powering some of the insights that we were using for our customers and we convinced them to join us. So it's a big deal. Were they specifically a, a data science firm or did they have a product? Yeah, they have a product it's specific to e-commerce around market intelligence. So understanding you know, more about your competition and these are really important things and it's very applicable to this conversation actually. So I think the exciting part for them is, you know, would they go out and build their own application to do this one thing or could they integrate their point solution into a bigger platform like ours? And thankfully, you know, we convinced them and we're excited to do that and integrate them into a bigger platform. But what's really cool about it is they're all interconnected. You know, things like where should you invest for your new product? Where should you be spending your money on advertising? These these are really interesting data points that are all interconnected. No one's really doing that to the level that, you know, we think it can be done at. So there's a lot of different point solutions. Um, I think that's the right terminology. You know, people who have used the APIs and you know, piped in these apps. I think there are analogies in, in many industries, especially with platforms where there are APIs. So the average Amazon seller, I think, uses 10 to 12 different API apps to do different functions, but they don't all talk to each other. So you could be using Takeometrics to do your ads, but you know you might be using a different tool to do your inventory. This is just a great opportunity to put the two together because when you're actually running the business, you should be thinking about both at the same time. And in this case, market intelligence, you should be thinking about what's your competition doing. What's interesting is, you know, at the beginning, you asked me, you know, what sort of data did I get in the very beginning? And they're sort of doing things that are quite similar to how we first started. And it's, yeah, it's sort of full circle. Did they have a existing product that was on the market that was being used by other people? Besides you? Yeah, our competitors, which I'm excited so about. So are you going to be shutting that down so that they... Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not sure the timing of this podcast. I haven't disclosed <laughs> the name. But uh, <laughs> yes, basically. Um, and, and it's not as if they're you know, an absolutely massive company. What we're right. excited about is the talent and the vision and their ability to move fast and add that capability you know, as we become more and more embedded in certain solutions like advertising, it's harder to sort of do other things. So they're going to bring this sort of out of the box capability. It's funny because in the last time we talked, you you did kind of tease this mm-hmm. that you were considering build versus buy, maybe acquisition. So I made a point of today to look and <laughs> see any news release that had gone out. And I was like, oh, no, I guess guess they haven't done anything yet. It's fresh. <laughs> it is fresh. It's interesting because, you know, when you're running the business internally and uh, of course, you know, ThoughtBot and many of the listeners will understand how critical product execution is. So as I describe the vision, I'm talking about aggregating and putting all these different point solutions together 
you could use an example like the Google suite of tools, like how useful is calendar because it's integrated into Gmail. If those were independent, they just wouldn't be, but we're not Google. So can you really do multiple things at once? What type of team do you need? You know, the, the, the product strategy is so important. I think the key is to create synergy and differentiation. At least that's our vision. Hopefully it's a one plus one equals three or one plus one equals five or whatever uh, concept you want to use to say, look, you put these two things together, the sum of the parts are much more valuable than the independent pieces. I think there's a lot of SaaS software that's starting to look more and more like that because you can do a lot. And actually coming back full circle, it's all about the data, right? The signals in the background, like what can be done to make it stickier. Have you found that investors think about that or value that? When they're looking at what you're doing and whether they want to be on board, if you're fundraising, that sort of thing? Yes, for sure. The problem is there's a lot of people using, I would say, two things. A lot, there's a lot of AI. You know, you put in like AI and healthcare and, you know, you're sort of like, or telehealth, AI and telehealth. And, you know, there's just a lot of people out there raising billions of dollars. So there's this sort of overuse of AI and, and, and data and then there's almost an overuse of the word platform. You know, what is a platform? What's the definition of that? I mean, you tend to see everyone calling any product a platform because it just sounds cooler or more powerful. And, and my advice to listeners and people sort of trying to pitch to VC, or, you know, using these things is just to think about truly, you know, that functionality, you know, is that real? So yeah, they're definitely looking at that. It's a classic private equity or venture capital path is to, you know, quote unquote, roll up, you know, get multiple point solutions and put them together. But uh, acquisitions are difficult. I think, you know, we're, we're onto something. I mean, most acquisitions fail, but take example of, let's say, Microsoft buying, I think, PowerPoint for $17 million, I think it was, and just think about how successful that was or where two technologies, people might not even know that name, but that's Google Maps. So yeah, let's hope it's one of those for us or a YouTube to Google or a WhatsApp to Facebook or an Instagram to Facebook. Um, that's at least what I'm telling our investors this is like. Hey, Giant Robots fans. We're going to take a quick second to talk about Hover, one of our sponsors. As a listener of our show and just in general, I know you care about the business of great products. Hover wants to make sure you have a great domain for these products, as Hover is jumping off point for tons of entrepreneurs. Hover has over 300 domain name extensions to choose from when building your brand online. No matter what you want to build, there's a domain name waiting for it. You'll find excellent technical support available to answer any questions you may have. Their support team doesn't upsell you. They only work hard to help you get online. With free Whois privacy protection, a clean UX UI, and monthly sales on popular top-level domains. It's hard not to see why Hover is a popular choice for people starting all kinds of businesses. I love the extent and variety they offer with over 300 domain name extensions to choose from. Grab a domain name at hover.com slash giant robots. Get a 10% discount with our referral link on all new purchases. Make a name for yourself with Hover. One of the things that I think is interesting when it comes to data, which is You've talked in the past episodes about how important Walmart was to you. You know, Amazon is such a big player that like if you're not integrating or getting data from other sources, it can be this closed ecosystem. 
But it strikes me that getting the data now from Walmart, like you were talking about, now we now you can sort of see how your product is performing in both places or what trends are happening in both places. And it should make your product more valuable in the individual marketplaces. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the most important thing is to put yourself in the shoes of the customer and not necessarily optimize for the access to data. That's you know, one way to look at it. I think what we do is we think, okay, if I'm a seller, what do I need to unlock my potential? Where should I go? Um, which is why I spend a lot of time actually playing around as a, as a seller, looking at sort of things like Instagram shops or even just monitoring stuff like the TikTok deal with Walmart. And then I think that then sets up the next part of the innovation, which is, okay, where are we going to integrate and how do we integrate I don't think you're going to be as successful sort of selfishly looking at it from the tachymetric side and say, let's, mm. let's figure out how I can aggregate the, the, the most amount of data. Well, that is a challenge for me because we have a lot of great engineers. We have a lot of great product people, but do they think like sellers? And I think if you're a designing product and maybe ThoughtBot can relate to this, if you're designing sort of consumer products, I imagine if you're on the Gmail team, you use Gmail, so you're using it every day, or you're, if you're at Slack and you're a product person or you're a, even an engineer, you kind of use it, so you kind of know what you're building. One of the hardest things for us is it's B2B. So what is the pain? What is the most important thing? What is the next best channel? And then the diversity of customers. Maybe if you're selling grocery products, Walmart or even Instacart is, is really valuable. You know, So we have customers asking us to integrate with Instacart, but Instacart isn't really a pure marketplace. It's more mm -hmm. of an advertising play because the products on Instacart aren't really third-party products. So we have a lot of trade-offs to make and a lot of decisions about where we integrate next. If we just went for the ones that could give us the most API access or the kind of coolest data science problems, I don't think we would be as successful as actually trying to figure out where should our target customers live? I really like that. That that resonates a lot with me and I and I appreciate you sort of like turning it around and, and calling out like, no, what actually matters most is not collecting the most data or doing this thing because it would be cool, but because you're trying to build a product that actually meets the needs of your users. And whether Absolutely. it be for Takeometrics or for any company, if you're not doing that, you can really lead yourself astray. Yeah, another one would be AI. I mean, mm -hmm. does the customer really care about AI or not? I mean, maybe they're even scared of AI because there's this sort of like driving in a car with no steering wheel type concept. So yeah, I think you can over-index to maybe your own ego as a as a company. And, you know, I definitely don't have the formula quite right yet, but we're we're trying to just do more and more around the voice of the customer. And by the way, I think the ThoughtBot methodology that I've always admired is just so powerful in this regard, you know, critical path thinking, the design sprint process, you know, those things are just, I think, just super powerful to pull out the most important things in, in building products, which are, you know, in, when you're doing it, it doesn't seem that revolutionary, but it's so easy to not do that and mm. just sort of think that you know what you're doing um, without listening to the customer. When you say that Takeometrics is implementing AI and machine learning, are you talking about the same thing or are those two different things that are happening in the product? 
Yeah, that's a really interesting one. And this is sort of the, the world of buzzwords. So <laughs> let's get into it. Yeah, big data, machine learning, AI, you know, they've all had these different eras almost. If you look at Google Trends and you look at like big data versus AI or ML, you know, they've just had different times where where they've been overused, I would say, whether it's VC or just in the news. You know, I actually woke up one Saturday morning and decided to email Mark Cuban cold. Some of his brands are on our platform and, you know, it was really interesting. I got into a very interesting sort of email, felt like a shark tank pitch with him. And <laughs> he's just really into AI and, you know, the future. And he's right. I mean, it's, it's definitely a, a huge part of it. And I think it feels much more real now. Because there are data first companies like us or AI first companies that are really adding a lot of value. Whereas maybe 10 years ago, there was a promise of AI and big data and, and nothing really happening. So I think there is a lot of true value in automation. You know, we're all using consumer products that have incredible AI built in. It's sort of interesting if you look at like a, a Nest thermostat, and I often use this as an example for our product team, you know, it's not as if Google in their marketing for Nest is is blasting you with AI. It's just showing you the value of solving your problem elegantly. And I think that's super important. So I don't think it matters that much what you call it. Maybe for investors, they want to feel like there's some proprietary IP and, you know, therefore AI is a big deal. At the end of the day, I think it's what, you know, what you do with it that's most important. So if you're starting a company or working on some of these um, sophisticated, you know, AI or machine learning companies, you got to think about, okay, am I talking to an investors? Am I talking to my own employees or I'm talking to my customers? And you've got to think through like what is important to each set. They're not all the same. And I think, again, coming back to customers, it's, it's really important. In terms of AI versus machine learning, at least to me, you know, they're very similar. I think machine learning, you know, there's sort of different specifics around, you know, the way that you can build software to learn. And that's a very specific, you know, use case of how you're solving problems. What's interesting is, you know, Takeometrics, even the name has really derived from, in my mind, Econometrics, which has been around for years, uh, maybe hundreds of years. And that's uh, the use of statistics in an economic model. You know, if you look at like Amazon as an example, a lot of the decisions that are made on pricing for Amazon and, and modeling are done by economists. And there's an overlap between economists and econometricians and, you know, machine learning folks and AI. And if you look at, if you really look at what they're doing math wise, they're pretty much all solving the same problem with slightly different wording and maybe just different tracks. Econometrics is an interesting one, though, because you could argue that it's more relevant to what we're doing because it looks at the whole system. For example, if you just did machine learning and you had a system that learned but didn't take into account sort of seasonal changes that are really macroeconomic effects or even like COVID as an example, you might miss some of the context. But it's, it, it, there's no really you know, good answer for, or at least I don't have a great answer on like what the difference is and they're just used so interchangeably. And I think you have to be careful if you're building products and overusing them. You know, even if you believe econometrics is, is really powerful, like, is it that intuitive? Not many people know what it is. So it might be easier to use AI. 
So we sort of defaulted some of these things as we've learned, um, sort of in the eye of the beholder a little bit, I think. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, you mentioned that you're just finishing this exciting acquisition, Aqua Hire. Aside from that, how are things going at Metrics? Any other you know pieces of news or progress? No, thanks for asking. Yeah, I think things are going well. Again, sort of coming back to customers, which is important. It was tough in Q2, and you know, and we were really grateful to be in an industry that is growing. And on average, we're actually going to benefit from digital transformation and COVID. And it, it's really around helping people to sort of unlock their value and there's more people that need to, to do that. In the immediate short term though, I think we felt like there was quite a lot of headwinds on COVID. You know, our investors and maybe even just sort of the news implied that anyone who's in e-commerce is, should be going absolutely gangbusters and, and just off to the races. But our customers had sometimes a pretty tough time because if you're not selling essential goods, Mm-hmm. cleaning supplies and maybe food and things like that you couldn't actually get your inventory into amazon so q2 was pretty rough for us you know that was because of our customers but it's been nice to see that turn around and now we're seeing some interesting things happening i think q4 is going to be really fun you know we've been signing up let's say toy manufacturers as an example um, so i love seeing those sort of stories of industry specific things that are going to do really well in Q4 and seeing our sales team close new new accounts that you can just tell it's going to go well and we're going to help them and you know they're going to have a great great time so yeah on average it's good it's you know it's a bit of a tough period i'm really proud of our team for working remotely through it all and i'm excited for Q4 it's e-commerce season i used to do it from the other side of the table and you know certain companies make you know all of their profits in that time. And it's so important this year, right? They're going to have to play catch up from Q2 uh, or Q1. So we're excited to help and you know make a difference. Not to get completely off track, but one of the big things you do is, is help people advertise on Amazon with the sponsored products to get their product in front of people who would be interested in buying it. You know, when it comes to the holiday buying season and just behavior in general, I get the sense you know, and this has been driven by your business, that those sponsored products on Amazon are increasingly important and driving a lot of business. So for e-commerce sellers on Amazon, how big of a factor is that for the majority of people? Like, oh, this is something we have to do? Well, I think the reality is that, you know, Amazon controls the game and the ads are a, a necessary part of growing a business on Amazon. You know, we are a big part of helping brands and sellers execute that. But it's Amazon that's designed that game and they've sort of built it in a way where you have to do that. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think sort of as I say that, it's it's sort of like, wow, you know, Amazon has that so much control and it comes around to that. Again, you know, watching a little bit of that Netflix documentary that's recently released around, you know, Gmail and product design around monetization. In any scenario, that's the game, and that is you know where people are going to be shopping. So yeah, you're right. Ads are, are really directly correlated to revenue, and you need to be doing it. So we're helping. I like to think that those ads are you know part of a level playing field, and I think Amazon has done a good job of making those ads play a part of discovery. For example, if, if you invent a new product and you want to get it to market, you know you have a, the opportunity to do that now. 
um, which benefits you as a brand and you as a consumer. So it's not all just sort of like Amazon as a casino and everyone loses. But uh, yeah, I mean, obviously you'll see them and you, you can see them now. And I think the experience is pretty good and, you know, hopefully not too obtrusive or seen as exploitive for consumers. No, as a user of Amazon, you know, I definitely intentionally look at those because I, I find them pretty valuable. I think my concern would be a bigger one, which is because that's so effective and they're generating revenue, does Amazon have an incentive to make search better or other discoverability mechanisms that they might have that they might not be able to generate revenue from? Yeah. Well, it comes down to it. I mean, in certain ways, they don't even know because they don't know the profitability of a seller. So that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Like they don't even know the headroom, right? Like they don't mm -hmm. know how hard to push. It's really incredible that we actually have some of those insights, but it's not just about ads to be successful on Amazon. You've got to do all the other stuff, which we see. So we're looking at, you know, inventory, we're looking at, you know, other factors and, you know, it comes full circle to this whole conversation. It's like the value of data, data is knowledge and transparency and it's really privileged and, you know, you've got to think about who's using it for what. Our entire business model and our mission is to use that data to help these entrepreneurs build profitable and successful businesses. I think Amazon has got its own agenda and to build its own profitability. Obviously, Jeff Bezos, if you look at you know his <laughs> net worth, has done a good job of it on his side. And in a way, it's sort of to level the playing field. And I think engineers and product people on our team get excited you know, in interview processes when we talk about this. It's not like we're against Amazon. We need Amazon, but we're not Amazon. And uh, you know, it's a, it's a good mission. Yeah, I really like that distinction of you being able to use a system that Amazon has set up, but you understand the full picture because your customer is the seller. So you can, you've said factor in profitability. So, you know, if it doesn't make sense to run this ad at this price, your system's going to help them not do that. Yeah, it's good. I mean, if Amazon had its way, I mean, they, they do a lot of things. I could go on and on from a seller's perspective of, you know, the surge pricing that they have on their inventory costs and, they have a thing called IPI, which is Inventory Performance Index that, you know, I, I, I think a lot of the people on the Amazon ads team wouldn't even know what that is, but you can't send certain inventory in unless you have a significant number of turns on particular SKUs and it's really, really complicated. And, you know, imagine trying to do all of this whilst importing goods from Asia or wherever you might be trying to, you know, balance the books and but if you get it right, you you know, you can be really, really successful and you can go from zero to an incredible success story. So we love celebrating those. You can kind of see these successes. But yeah, it's going to be a good season coming up. Great. And if people want to follow along with you or take a metrics, how's the best way to do that? Well, I, I'm happy to engage with anyone through LinkedIn. That's my sort of primary personal level of engagement. And we have the Take a Metrics Twitter account and also LinkedIn as well. And, you know, we put out a lot of good information there. You know, if anyone's interested in joining the team, we, you know, post our career stuff there as well. You know, happy to engage personally. And uh, thank you very much for the opportunity to share and discuss ideas. Great questions. And you can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. You can find me on Twitter at lindsay3d. 
And me on Twitter at CPytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.